The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 46 for the week of December 18th. And I, I think Santa is getting ready to come visit us, isn't he? Yeah, you know, uh, we're getting close there, Rob. Um, I, I think, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty well through my, my Christmas shopping at this point. Yeah, I'm going to get um, that started real soon now. We're right in the middle of Hanukkah, so for all of our Jewish yeah. friends out there. Happy uh, Hanukkah, everybody. Yep, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, besides that, I think well, I'm about ready to go. Uh, the Last Jedi. We saw oh, the movie. We uh, did. I think it's time to let everyone know. It turns out Ray is Yoda's daughter. That was a, yes. that was a surprise reveal halfway yep. through the movie. I, I was I was shocked. I was shocked as well. But yeah, it makes a, sense. I mean, her a little her... bit appalled, <laughs> shocked and appalled. But it, but it was good. Um, yeah. So we got to watch that uh, last week. Hopefully, everyone's got to see it. We'll we'll uh, look forward to talking about what you guys thought about the movie soon. Why don't we dive into the news? Let's do it. Um, this is again a banner week for news. Um, let's first though, uh, remind you guys that we do have our mailing list. So if you want to get show notes in the mail and other communications from us, sign up yeah. for that on the website, colorado-security.com. And the Slack channel has been, been burning up. We've got well over a hundred people in there now and, and hopefully some, some good conversation and a good way for you to connect with local security people. Yeah, exactly. So first on the list this week, um, Denver is exploring a 2026 Olympic bid. So that's the winter Olympics. Um, you know, we had originally been picked as an Olympic oh, winter Olympic location back a couple decades ago, right? And turned it down. Yes. Uh, I think even more than a couple decades ago, but yeah, it was the only city to ever be awarded the Olympics and then turn it down. So what do you think? Should we, should we uh, be interested in having the Olympics here in town? You know, uh, it's one of those blessing and a curse kind of things. Um, I think it would be great exposure. It'd be wonderful to, to have them when they're here to have it so close. Um, but you know, you do get saddled with a whole bunch of debt well, they said they, the the article here is pretty clear that it would not be any public funding; that it would all be privately financed. And I don't know exactly what that means, but if they can come up with a way to do it without a bunch of public debt and without you know building structures that are going to sit there and just you know get old and not get used, maybe, maybe. Well, um, I'm pretty sure that the only city to ever make money on the Olympics was Los Angeles. Hmm. So I think you're, even, even if you can uh, say on paper that you're not going to lose money, uh, historically, everyone has lost money. Yeah. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing. You know, I think living here during the Olympics would be pretty terrible. You know, win- yes. winter traffic is already pretty bad. And um, now we're going to have, you know, an extra, I don't know, 2 million people in town or whatever it is. <laughs> so uh, I'm voting we don't do it, but yeah. you know, what do they care about my, my vote? Uh, so next uh, there was an article this week about what does the Denver tech job market look like for 2018? Um, I think it looked like things are not necessarily, um, I don't know, as rosy as they have been in the past. Yeah. Still positive, right? Still positive. Still a lot, of, a lot of job. There's going to be job growth, um, but the growth is slowing down based on where it was for the larger tech economy, right? right. But not for, not for security, right? Right. Yeah. And then I think that the, the key thing out of this article was that they did a survey and, um, one of the questions was, what are the hot tech jobs? And cybersecurity was mentioned by 51% of the folks that were surveyed, which was the highest of anything yeah. that was mentioned. So and right behind cool. it was what, cloud computing? Cloud computing um, and business intelligence. Yeah. And I assume that's big data and machine learning for business intelligence. Exactly. Yeah, all the hot stuff there. 
All right, uh, Chipotle's headquarters is moving. You know, Chipotle is a Denver company. The first, the first uh, Chipotle opened was by DU, um, and they're moving their headquarters into the new building at like 15th and in between Arapahoe and Lawrence. Yeah, so that, that's pretty cool for them. It sounds like they have uh, their uh, their corporate folks in a couple different locations now, so they have the ability to, to consolidate into one space in a new yeah. building. So I was surprised. They have 450 uh, corporate employees there, so pretty good size back office. Yeah, exactly. Uh, next, the Highlands Ranch Cyber Patriots were uh, profiled on a, a Douglas County Schools uh, website, so that was cool. Yeah, so the Cyber Patriots is the high school, kind of the, the club that gets together and does – uh, both security and, uh, you know, red teaming, right? You know, learning how that works at, at a young age. Yeah, and it, it just talked a little bit about, you know, what Cyber Patriots are, you know, what the team is, how mm-hmm. long they've been going, things like that. So uh, a good proof profile on those guys. Uh, nice to see that they were popping up on a school yeah. website there. Uh, this is a nice bit of news. We haven't had a, uh, a funding event in a little while. ThreatX, which is a Denver-based startup, just got a $7 million round, venture, venture capital round here, um, hopefully you know, to, to fund their additional development and, of course, marketing and sales for them to go to market. Yeah, uh, congratulations to them. Um, glad to see that they are still growing. Absolutely. Uh, next, Logarithm had a blog post this week. It uh, looks like it was by uh, James Carter from the Logarithm Labs folks. Uh, talking about the consolidated compliance framework module that they have in Logarithm. Yeah. So this looks to me pretty similar to the UCF, the Universal Control Framework, where they're coming up with a way to to have a single set of controls that maps out to all the different standards. So you can just go to this one single set of controls and and get your compliance you know, for everything else. Is that kind of what your read on it was? Yeah, it, it sounds like that. Also notice that they have a, a GDPR module in there. Mm-hmm. So... For everyone that's freaking out over GDPR, uh, Logarithm has you covered in some parts of it. Oh, there you go. Well, they'll take care of my GDPR problems for me, huh? Exactly. Oh, that's that's pretty good. Uh, there's a, an article from Ping this week. Actually, um, I wrote this one. It's uh, about implementing high quality control, high quality controls to protect private keys. And really, what this is is a response to the the research by uh, CyberArk recently about they called it a golden SAML, the ability to. Um, to compromise a private key and, and go issue a bunch of new SAML certs. Uh, so this is really you know talking about how private key, enc- private key encryption works and how important it is to really protect that private key and you know, what the best practices for that are. Yeah, if you have secrets, you should try and keep them secret. Yeah, if, if you don't keep them secret, it doesn't work very well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Coalfire had a blog this week, uh, Cyber Incident Response and Lessons from Uber's Story. Uh, so they had a couple key takeaways here. Uh, one... Review your computer security incident response plan. Uh, that seems to make sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, definitely and everyone. And too, right? Uh, I would say even before that, make sure that you have a plan before yeah. you review it. Um, not much to review if you don't have a plan. Uh, their, their second piece was they wanted to make sure that you um, understand and sort of normalize the, the terms that you have in your policies. You know, what is a breach? What is an incident? Uh, things like that. I think but, this is to go to the point where in the Uber breach, right, where um, – they, they believed that they had put enough mitigations in place that they could not call it a breach anymore. Right. And, and to your point, you know, when we were talking about this offline, um, it doesn't really matter if the company thinks they're okay. If the law says this is a breach, then, then, then it's a breach, right? It, exactly. When, uh, when data leaves your premises, if that's what's defined as a breach, you know, if you recover it later um, and can yeah. confirm that it didn't go anywhere, well, it, it still left your premises, yeah. came out, went out of your control, so that should still be a breach. But anyway... Um, and then the last one, uh, they note that you should ensure that your board of directors and legal counsel 
have signed off on your incident response plan as a matter of company policy. So I agree your legal counsel needs to be a part of creating the plan and needs to approve it. But I think asking your board of directors to review it is probably probably not realistic for most of us. Yeah, I, I think what they're trying to get at here is that it, there should be some formal approval of this incident response plan. You shouldn't just draft it up and say, hey, I got an incident response plan, right? I, I don't know if board of, the direct, board of directors is the right folks to be doing that. I, I mean, I agree with you. I can't imagine there are many people out there that are um, having their board of directors, you know, read word for word what their incident response plan is. But you should have some formal policy approval mechanism right. um, that, that's there, and this should be approved through right. that. that. That's reasonable. All right, let's jump over to the trivia. Uh, for last week's trivia, which if you remember was a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure up in the mountains trying to build a structure and what's the densest rock to use, we did not we we did get one response that was correct. Unfortunately, it was from my previous winner, and you're not allowed to win within the same quarter. Wah, wah. Uh, so we didn't actually have a winner this week. Uh, the, the correct answer is basalt. Basalt is that densest stone that you should use if you're going to build your permanent structure in the mountains. So a little bit of a tip for you guys if you ever – you know, have a, a zombie apocalypse need for a, a place to live. So prepare now. Make sure you can identify what basalt is and you know how to mine it. Yeah. And then uh, then you'll be able to build a shelter out of it when everyone else You is should probably, probably practice and build one now just in case probably. there's an emergency. Probably, you, want, exactly. you, don't, you don't want to be trying to implement this plan without having practiced it. Yes. Um, yeah. And make sure your board of directors <laughs> signs off on yeah. your shelter building plan. Yeah. Uh, trivia for this week. You want to go ahead? Yeah. So uh, this week... Uh, we, we have a back to the podcast question. Uh, which feature podcast guest previously worked for the Mayo Clinic? Hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. And this is not like a mayonnaise, you know, just in case you're wondering. Oh, We're not, not, not the health of the mayonnaise. <laughs> it might be. All right. Uh, let's jump over into events. There is a total of one event for the rest of the year. Uh, coming up this Thursday, uh, CitySec or Denver CitySec is happening up north at the... Colorado Keg Company, I think that's what it was called. I did confirm their Twitter account shows that they have a they have a meeting in a place lo- uh, identified. So hopefully you guys can make it and you know hopefully get a drink a, a drink with some friends around the holidays and get ready to take a little bit of time off. Yeah, so you should definitely check out their Twitter feed for the uh, the actual name in case Rob got that wrong and the time and and uh, when they're going to be there on the twenty first. Good stuff. Uh, a couple of events we want to just highlight coming up in the future. One, we talked about this in November. It got pushed due to uh, a couple of uh, holiday things, but Optiv is having their application security focus group on January 18th. It's not too late, not too early to sign up either. Uh, so you can go get signed up for that and, and go attend. It'll be some good stuff to talk with, with Optiv folks. Uh, and then also, I think we are going to be now in our weekly uh, review of the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Um, we are very close to being able to announce all of the, the keynotes, <laughs> but, um, the call for papers is still open. Call right for papers now. is open. And we've had Please a nice, submit. we've had a nice surge of submissions. You should get your stuff in early. Uh, we, as a committee start to review early. And of course it's nice, you know, to, to be early in the, in the process, you get, you get your answer earlier too. And I think I mentioned it previously, but you know, we changed user registration this year, attendee registration. So if you have a little bit of budget at the end of the year that you want to get rid of and you want to register for RMISC now, you can. So go check out rmisc.org and, and sign up as an attendee. You know, I haven't actually seen much about B-Sides yet. I don't know if, they're, uh, if they've started planning or they're still waiting on stuff, but um, we'll re- look into that and hopefully get back to you guys the next couple of weeks on, on status of B-Sides. Sounds good. All right, so let's take a look at the jobs this week. Uh, first... Cigna had a cyber threat responder and malware analysis lead. Very Sounds cool. like fun. Yeah. 
Uh, so Ping Identity, this is uh, working on my team, is hiring a cloud security engineer. Uh, we're, we're talking to a couple folks about that, but would love to have you guys submit as well. Um, we're also hiring a couple of security-focused SREs, site reliability engineers. So if you have experience working at Amazon doing containerization with Docker, um, that'd be great to hear from you guys for that. Uh, Sunflower Bank is hiring an IT risk specialist. Yeah, and, and I reached out to the hiring manager there, uh, Nina White. Uh, she's looking for an energetic, passionate person who, who wants to, who's either got a couple years experience or really wants to learn about IT risk and security. Uh, Transamerica is hiring a lead paralegal in privacy and cybersecurity compliance. Fast Enterprises is hiring an information security analyst. And I put fast on there this week because I think that they were one of the ones that were on the glass door yep. article from last week about one of the best places to work. Yeah. And we hung out with uh, one, of, one of the director over there, our information security officer from over there, uh, Todd Mortensen. He came to the, to the uh, Colorado Equal Security CISO holiday event. Uh, next, uh, Cherokee Nation businesses are hiring a network and cloud security specialist. Wells Fargo is hiring a uh, C systems architect five focused on crypto security. So I, I wanted to see this one in there because yeah. it's very not very often that you get a level five yeah. kind of job in yeah. here. It, it's it's funny to me that you hire in at a five, right? right. I can see like, hey, we're going to put some numbers after your title so we can give more promotions. Right. But if you hire at a five, how high can you go? Uh, how many more numbers are there? Well, I would say if you're working on crypto security, you probably need to be a five anyway. Hmm. All right. Uh, next, uh, Carbon Black. They are hiring a, a SOC analyst. This is surprising that they're hiring it in Denver. I wonder if it's just work from home. Do you know? Well, so uh, Jim Trinan, who uh, used to be at ProtectWise and now is at, at Carbon Black, I used to work with a long time ago. He's actually, uh, he lives up towards Boulder and they're hiring a bunch of folks for Carbon Black in the area. Really? Hmm. Do they have an office up there then? Uh, I don't think yet, but I, I think that they're working on that. Okay. Uh, Black Knight is hiring a threat intelligence analyst one. See, this is an opportunity to go up, you know, Several numbers. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Akamai is hiring a technical project manager for security. And then the, the Merker group is hiring a privacy and data security attorneys and partners. Yeah. So I think that they're looking for multiple folks. Yeah. So if, if you're an attorney um, or potentially an experienced one that could be a partner, yeah. I think the Merker group is looking to hire folks who know cybersecurity yeah. and the law. Well, good stuff. That's the end of our uh, of our news for this week. We're going to throw it over to the feature interview, with, which is with the FBI special agent here in the Denver area. Uh, so got to ask a lot of interesting questions about you know, what they do around cybercrime, um, when we should reach out to them, a couple of stories about stuff he's been involved with. His name is Jason. We, we don't use his, his last name. He, he doesn't want that. So, uh, But anyway, hopefully a good interview, and we'd love to hear from you guys if you have any questions or uh, comments about it. Secret. Agent man, yes. secret. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, Rob. And uh, Oh, I did want to mention we have two different uh, additions to the interview with the FBI agent. Number one, during the interview, I had asked him if the FBI had helped respond to the shooting up at the Walmart here in town uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, he wanted to clarify that they were involved in working on that with local law enforcement. And number two, he asked me to mention uh, and actually put a link in our show notes to the FBI's official position on encryption. Uh, you know, we we, had, we didn't talk much in the interview, but I talked with, with him quite a bit about, you know, the, FB, the FBI and Apple with the iPhone decryption conversation and, and asked him for some clarity. And he, he wanted to point us to the official statements just so he doesn't get in the way of that. Okay. Uh, with that, well, I think we'll throw it over to the interview. And if you guys have any questions, drop, drop us a note. Thanks, Rob.
This is Mike Benjamin, a big fan of Colorado Security. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals and by Colorado Security Professionals. All right, today, this is Rob, and I have the fortune of getting to interview one of the special agents assigned uh, with the FBI, assigned to the Denver office here. Uh, rather than giving his name out, we're just going to call him Jason. Jason, thanks a lot for joining us for the show today. Thank you, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff we can talk through today. Um, the first thing I'd like to ask you is, is did you join the FBI because it looked really cool? Is that what it was? No. Because <laughs> um, it does look really cool. It does. <laughs> At this point, um, I obviously, um, well, just I was on the path. Let, let me say that. I was on the path long before I knew I was on the path. Hmm. Um, and to unpack that just a little bit, uh, I grew up, uh, I didn't have computers really available to me. And I got to about the time in high school where I had to focus on a major for, for college and my guidance counselor brought me down to the office and basically said, what do you want to do? And I had, I was all over the map. I liked a lot of, I had a lot of different interests. So I don't know if I wanted to do medicine, law, science, history, what have you, computers, quotes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so my, my guidance counselor looked at my schedule, goes, well, you're taking an intro to programming course. And I was, it was the basic programming language. Yeah. If you remember, I know basic. Anything? Yeah, basic. I wrote literally. some programs in basic. Yes. yes. Okay. So, so I, I'll tell you what I did in basic. Go ahead. Yeah. I we, we used to buy magazines, and you would, uh, and the magazine would have pages of code. That when you typed those pages of code into your computer, it would be a game. Yes. So that's how you got free games. Right. Yeah, right. That was, exactly. That was my basic. That was my intro to basic. So that was my intro to computers, if yeah. you will. I, I mean, it's a broad t- yeah. term. It's ambiguous. I get it, but that's how it was kind of. Um, introduced to me, yeah. and I didn't really understand, translate that to what I was seeing in the world with um, you know, like the gaming systems, Nintendo, and so, and so I'm, I'm trying to make this, you know, mental cognitive leap from how is basic getting to, you know, these um, environments that you, you play Super Mario and all that other right. stuff. So I, I really didn't get it, but I, I, for whatever reason, I was curious about it, and so um, it was almost a whim, I guess you could say, but I said, okay, let, let me do this. Um, I'll, I'll study computer science. And so that's what I did. Um, and I was, I went to school at an engineering technology school, um, heavy in that regard. And very quickly I found out that um, I was a very <laughs> newbie to, to technology. A lot of my classmates coming in as freshmen had computers with them growing up. Uh, I didn't realize until then that there was, you know, the advanced placement courses, mm-hmm. that there was advanced placement programming computer mm-hmm. science courses in high school. I didn't know that, so I was kind of naive with all that. Yeah. And those guys were talking about C++ and what they're doing. And again, I'm coming from this like, this exposure to a syntax-based, uh, um, uh, you know, um, programming language in basic. So I was in over my head, and I actually immediately started questioning <laughs> Did I make the right choice? But I stuck with it, and I'm glad I did, because um, 20-some-odd years later, I guess closer to 25, uh, I, I'm so passionate about technology, mm-hmm. and it worked out well for me. Um, so, so, so there was a guiding light there. I'll say after college, I went into the private sector. So I my focus was more application programming, mm-hmm. uh, by large and in part. So I also had a bit of a Goldilocks syndrome with trying to find the right job. 
that I that motivated me uh, to be upfront. I jumped from like large corporations to small and in between medium. I tried different sectors from finance, education, even communications. And every time I, I would get stuck with, I, I enjoyed the programming element of what I was doing, but I would, I would, it would be the puzzle that needed to be solved and I'd solve it. And I felt that after doing that, I'd be asked to just essentially solve the same puzzle again and sell that again and again. Yeah. So I felt like I was doing widgets a lot and I, I wasn't in any innovative technologies or anything like that and it wasn't really moving me but I'd say this being on that path to you know get into the FBI um, one of the things that I just naturally kind of gravitated to was thinking about security implications so the, the code that I was writing I was doing uh, a lot of the web applications, a lot of database, uh, front uh, back ends, you know, front end. Um, I, I did some ASP. I moved into PHP. I started following the open source, the LAMP stack. So, you know, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP at the time was the thing. And I really enjoyed doing that. It was, it was immensely fun. Um, but again, I was thinking about the security implications. There's no guidance as far as at that time, to kind of date this, late 90s, early 2000s. There was no guidance for how to, uh, at least I didn't see it. No one got, told me where to go. I said, like, how to, like, protect against SQL injection type of attacks, mm-hmm. how to, you know, filter inputs, do all that. But naturally, I would follow news about, you know, computers and security, and I would read about an an attack and how it happened, and, and I'd think about that, about how can I, you know, um, prevent that from happening with my applications, and things like you know, even encrypting passwords and databases and so on and so forth. So I naturally gravitated towards that. Um, so I might have over-engineered to my supervisors at, at, at the time um, to their liking, but so I had that inherently in me. Um, I'm People who know me well will tell you that I, I do have a little bit of paranoia in me. So I think that's a good, good trait to have with uh, when you do uh, things with um, cybersecurity, if you if you will. And uh, ultimately, I had a confluence of events happen in my life where uh, I was still searching for that passion in the job at this point because I knew I was in the right spot with technology. I just needed the, the right job. I. Um, actually was became a, a victim of a crime. It seems small at this point because of where we are today with things, but I had my credit card compromised and I yeah. was I was uh, um, I, I was just offended that somebody could do that. <laughs> and so I was like, why? And so so and then at the same time, you know the FBI had stepped up its cyber division yeah. um, in 2005 at this point. And so I and I read an article about that, and I kind of all this was happening at the same time. I said, you know, I'll give it, I'll give this FBI thing a shot, yeah. and that's kind of how I was on that path. And the rest is history. I've been doing this for ten years now, um, and it's been a blast. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, you and I met and had lunch a few months ago, and you told me the story about the. You know the, the application for the FBI, and it's you know not super easy. The the physical fitness at, tests you had to do and, and all that. We've on the show, Alex and I have a couple different times covered that there's some special agent postings out there. People they're looking to hire special agents in Denver. Um, so the, any words of advice you want to give anyone who might be thinking about trying to join the FBI? Yeah, yeah. So up front, I would start with whatever you do. Regardless of, don't think about FBI being the final goal. Just 
choose something that you enjoy doing for and that you want to do. And what I mean by that is some people who don't know how the FBI really operates think that they need to they might look more attractive if they maybe have a law enforcement background. Mm. And so they might tailor their school and, um, you know, just the work experience that they have in law enforcement. And they're not really that passionate about, like, working um, in that area. It might even be the same thing with um, law. Like, if you're someone wants to pursue law in school, thinking that this is going to be what's going to get them in the that's not a good match. You really mm. just want to follow what you. And that's what I did. I didn't know it at the time, but I just followed inherently without even knowing the FBI was a destination for me. What I wanted to do. Yeah. And then in the hiring process, what the FBI as the eligibility requirements come. Uh, if if you meet the requirements, which Broadly speaking, um, and you can get all the requirements at uh, our website is fbijobs.gov, and you could get all the detail that you need on this. But um, being a U.S. citizen, having a college degree, it's STEM is something that is uh, encouraged, and we need a lot more help with. But you know, you could be in law, you could be in medicine, you could be, uh, you could come from a military background, and so 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 as long as you have that. Um, you're going to be fine. You could you could apply, and really, you have to meet those these baseline eligibility requirements. If you pass that, or it's really just like a um, almost like a selected by algorithm type of thing, where you meet all the requirements, then you'll you'll, you'll move forward in the process where uh, you'll be looking at that as an individual, right? So long way to say. Um, whether you have an IT background or any other law background, if you're interested in being an FBI agent, if you're between the ages of 23 and 36, and those are uh, very specific ranges, uh, the 23 more from the the FBI wants a more mature yeah. um, candidate, 36 more because uh, we have a mandatory retirement age of 57 as an agent. Yeah. And so if you start the process at 36, we you, you need to be at the academy by 37. Years of age, so that you could clock uh, put twenty years on the clock to get that full retirement. Um, all that being said, uh, so my advice would be follow your passion. If the FBI is still something that you want to do, um, and you meet those minimum eligibility requirements, go ahead and and, and apply because we definitely would need uh, uh, we need the help as much as we can. And I, I'd love the job, and I would encourage encourage anybody. Um, I tend on the technical side, so for a career in, in technology and computer uh, security, I would definitely encourage you to apply. Then you do talk about uh, when, when you get through like just meeting the minimum eligibility requirements, you do have to eventually be interviewed uh, by a panel of FBI agents. Mm-hmm. It could be intimidating. You do some writing. There's some other testing like logic and reasoning, personality tests. There's, there's a whole slew of tests that you'll have to go through those hurdles. Um, and we haven't even talked about uh, to what you alluded to is the physical fitness test. Yeah. I talked with our HR people just yesterday because I just wanted to make sure I was giving out like updated and good information. Um, and they tell me uh, as, as late as yesterday that the, the, point, the part that trips most people up um, on the agent side is the physical fitness test, still, mm. which um, for those who might be wondering, um, that test consists of one minute of as many setups as you can do in a minute, and then a five-minute rest period, followed by a 300-meter sprint, 
then another five minute rest period. And then you do maximum push-ups. You can go as long as you can go. There's no time limit, but you can't stop. Hmm. So there's no pausing for breaks. And then finally, after another five-minute break, you do a mile and a half run. So independently, each of those events don't sound too bad for, I think, most people. But when you put when you string those things together, even with those five-minute rests, yeah. it really, um, when you do it, it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> it's a different, it, it's different. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I have fun with it. I, again, if anybody's interested, go out to the website, take a look at those requirements just for fun. Socially, if... Seriously, if anybody would want to do the, as a social, the FBI fitness test, you <laughs> yeah, know. You're up for it, huh? I'll do it. I, mean, <laughs> I, I need to practice it myself because I still take it. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah, definitely encourage everyone to consider it if yeah. that's something that they think that cool. they would like to do. Well, so my, my next question for you is what are the top priorities for the FBI right now? Okay, well, so we start looking at the problem from a national security threat for, and criminal threat. So we, we basically, uh, we start to separate from there. And national security threats are going to be, you know, nation-state-backed uh, threats to our infrastructure, to companies, um, our way of life, that type of a thing. So that's going to be where we're going to want to spend most of our focus uh, as, a, as the FBI on the national security side, on the criminal side, um, you have the financially motivated attackers. Um, you have corporate espionages in play. You have insider threats, which I would also include your um, disgruntled employee, which mm-hmm. by my experience is if th- that's the scenario where you're most likely to have an arrest in, say, Colorado, is... Uh, that that disgruntled uh, employee scenario where someone's like been let go yeah. or it's just been jaded with the job and they decide to do something um, unauthorized access uh, and, and do something destructive to systems. Um, and then there's the, what we call the hacktivists. So those who have you know some sort of political point that they want to make, um, but they do, they cross that line into some criminal behavior. Doxing might be one of those right. things that you'll see. Um, where someone has a personal axe to grind against another person or group, and uh, it's the um, attack on you know, just trying to dox that person to get as much information, shame them, type of that type. Doxing of basically means I, you know, I'm going to go find out where you live, you know, all the information about you personally, and yeah. just go post it on the internet. Right, right, yeah, yeah. and you'll have that, you, you know, directed at. Law enforcement, you see it directed in the press. You'll see um, hackers do it to each other, right? Yeah. Um, just kind of a, I don't know, they, they uh, some sort of tiff happens or someone wants to just out somebody else, um, and, and they'll actually put out some information like that. Yeah. So, um, so you know, taking a step back further, just help me understand the, the difference between the charter or the mission of the FBI versus other law enforcement or other intelligence you know obviously there's you know the CIA focused externally outside the US but maybe talk yeah. about what's the FBI's big picture charter well we're domestic law enforcement yeah so that that's we but not all I mean you also we also have you know police and sheriffs and, and what's the difference between your guys purview and and any other domestic law right enforcement? so so federal government right yeah. so federal laws mm-hmm and we are organized to essentially address threats specifically 
um, that are in violation of Title 18 Code, uh, the United States Code, Title okay. 18. Um, so all the violations, I think there's about 300 of them. So mm-hmm. it, it's everything from things that you um, might be more familiar with, uh, like bank robberies, kidnappings, yeah. um, the corporate espionage, money laundering, healthcare fraud, public corruption. It, there's a lot of different uh, violations that we can pursue. pursue. And that is different than there's no other federal law enforcement that has that breadth of violations that they could charge under. Yeah. Um, so that's something that does separate us. Uh, and we do we do have, because the nature of everything these days is global, we do have what we call legal attache offices all over the world. I forget the exact number. Um, but we do have them overseas. So and they're an extension. They represent the FBI in a foreign country, but they're not, they don't have law enforcement powers in those countries. Um, so they're, it's just liaison and it's necessary, frankly, with everything with computer security these days, a lot of our attacks are coming from overseas. So we need to work with our law enforcement partners overseas. And we do that through our legal attaches. So you know, a guy like me, most of what I know about the FBI comes from TV shows, fictional <laughs> TV shows. So, you know, for example, in The Wire, the uh, the FBI says that they're really focused on terrorism and not looking at other stuff. Do you guys get mandates like, hey, this is this is how we're gonna, this is the crime that we're most focused on right now? Yeah. So we do have our top priorities, and yeah. terrorism is still our top priority. Yeah. Cyber is, I want to say, it's now second. Okay. So, and I probably should address the cyber term at this point, <laughs> because you know uh, it, it's 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 definitely pervasive in government, like yeah. just calling everything cyber. Um, and uh, for an audience like what I anticipate with your podcast here, I, I hope that they give me the leeway with that. <laughs> um, there are times, frankly, I do think about that because they're. I, I might be interviewing people and subjects uh, that if I drop cyber in this conversation that I like lose credibility in front of them. Yeah. And I, so I, I, I get that and I'm sensitive to that as well. But at the same time, I work for the cyber division within the FBI. I'm yeah. on the cyber squad. It's, I can't yeah. say it any other way. It's, it's yeah. almost like, um, like programmed into me at this point. So I've, I've come around a little bit on that. You know, I, I've, <laughs> I've been an information security guy for a long time, right? And and when cyber first came out, you know, one of Alex Wood's de- quips was, what does cyber mean? Can anyone explain cyber to me? And, and what, I, what I've decided is it, it makes sense if I take it from the perspective of a military person who has been focused on security for, you know, hundreds of years, right? Um, that... To them, security does not mean what I do, what, what Rob Reck does for a living. And information security doesn't mean securing a computer because they've had to do information security since before computers existed. Mm-hmm. So none of the phrases that that I use in a day-to-day life made sense for them. And so they had, right. to, they had to make their own. You know, Maybe I could say it should have been computer security instead of yeah. cyber security. Yes. Or, uh, or maybe I can say that the... Just dropping the word security bugs me, right? So, but, but still, yeah, yes. at least it makes sense. They couldn't just use our, our information security uh, right. nomenclature. 
So I, I try to, I try, I'm trying not to be quite so good <laughs> about it. I, I don't take it personal. <laughs> but, but you see, our, our show is not called Colorado Equals Cyber, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. It's a shortcut, let's yeah. be honest. It's yeah. a shortcut. Uh, it's, if, you, if you have a two-syllable replacement, I'm all for it. <laughs> um, so you know, now, now that we've talked a little bit about the high-level priorities for you, how does how does that flow down into your day? I, I know from our previous conversation that you don't spend forty hours a week focused on on computer work, right? It it varies, and it, and it can be pulled in different directions based on what is happening um, in the office. Uh, for instance, one of the things that I enjoy being an FBI agent and being part of the FBI because our professional staff do this as well is that we are really good at responding to crisis when the time calls for it as well as just surging resources to an investigation and unfortunately um, things like that come up it could be uh, like a child kidnapping for instance is something that that will come up where the entire office will drop everything literally what we're doing and focus on like getting out to the neighborhood um, doing canvases, talking with people, trying to trying to identify a missing uh, person, and so that is unpredictable, and we don't like to see any of that. But in reality, we do get work like that. Yeah. Um, even things in in the world um, that happened, uh, you know, we just went through a, an incident in Las Vegas with the with a shooting. Right. A lot of resources out of the Denver FBI office went out there to support that and that covers everything from FBI agents through analysts to support staff and IT people who just need to set up a command post um, so the you know it's it's one of those things where it separates I think um, us from you know uh, frankly just the private sector yeah it's just you know you're kind of responding to real world events that uh, at the end of the day, you, you feel like you're contributing to a good cause. So recently in Denver, we had a, um, a, a violent crime committed at a, at a Walmart, right, up, yeah. up north. Uh, is that something the FBI gets involved with? The I'm sure we were. Um, I'm sure we were. Not yeah. personally, just because we're, I'm sitting, a fr- I, I didn't get any particular insight. It was almost like, uh, I wouldn't go so far as calling it need to know. It's just that uh, we do have resources, I'm sure, that were used. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they were. Um, but in that example, maybe because it was as, um, frankly, that one has a, there's a state and local piece to that yeah. where state and lo- local law enforcement will request uh, resources. I'm sure um, those conversations were had and whatever the state and locals needed, we were willing to provide. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I have a couple questions for you around, well, one more thing on that. What percentage of your time would you say, you know, I know every week is different, but like take a big picture over the course of a month or a year, what percentage of your time do you get to focus on the, on the cybersecurity part of your job? So percentage, I'd say, so it averages, I, I think I, I'd like to say I put 75% of Okay, it. so most of your time yeah, is, most is really it. a security. The rest way. of it, um, and just taking out apart from, and actually that might be high because not, not, not still like now doing the whole, uh, we have a lot of training yeah. that's required of us through uh, Congress, frankly. Mm-hmm. So Congress requires us to do a lot of uh, training, um, whether it be, uh, we have legal training all the time, well, once a quarter. We have firearms training 
once mm. a quarter. So those days kind of come off the calendar. We do have um, meetings with the public. We, uh, As much as we can, we like to come out and speak at conferences and stuff. Yeah. The reality is, is because of just what the workload is, is uh, we, we have a lot more requests to do speaking engagements than we could reasonably accommodate on top of the rest of the work. Right. So we do have to be very choosy as to uh, what we do choose to, to speak at. And we, we really try to be um, like anybody, like what's going to be the most, uh, where are we going to make the biggest, make, impact. Make the biggest impact? Like, for instance, this podcast is a great time for me to spend here because we could talk about what the FBI's priorities are and what we're dealing with. And I'm sure your subscriber uh, count yeah. is we'll it, get a few hundred is is uh, it, yeah that's great and that's yeah. more than you know most places yeah. that we can get to so so I said 75, 70, 75 percent but it's probably as they start keep on knocking these days off yeah. it kind of goes down to overhead and admin stuff right. like that uh, okay so a cu- couple of the topical things I wanted to bring up first um, you know ransomware has been everywhere over the last I mean, it has been four years now since. Since Crypto Locker kind of right. burst on the scene, um, and you know, question of should we pay the ransom? Should we not pay the ransom? Love to hear you know as a your take as an FBI agent, special agent, excuse me. Uh, should we pay the ransom? What do you think? Well, the official FBI response is that we do not ask you to pay that ransom. Yeah, uh, we recommend that you do not, and the reason for that is. It just proliferates the problem. It makes it more profitable, makes it more common, brings more criminals into doing it. I, I look at it as there are some countries in this world where kidnapping is like a, it's a thing for making money mm-hmm. to monetize. I think if we were all, no one would choose if they had a choice to to be in a country like that. And so... This, when we cross into computer security and internet technologies and the crimes that are going on, things change as far as you know your assessment on um, everything. Frankly, as where in the real world, I think we know, like we will talk about, you don't negotiate with terrorists. On the ransom side, in the real world, we don't pay ransom to yeah. because we don't we we don't want to feed that. Uh, a demand there Um, and so so that's why that recommendation is there the other thing is is that we have um, documented reports where the the sticker price on the ransom is is not the final price so Mm -hmm. we there are some groups that are out there that will um, they speculation is it's almost like they throw the proverb uh, that uh, spaghetti on the wall see who kind of whatever sticks, whoever they get hooked into, and those per- people come out and say, I- I'm going to pay that ransom so I can get my hard drive back or whatever, right. they'll turn around and look at you a little bit closer, and they might realize that they have a, a you in a bit tighter vice than um, because they maybe you're uh, you're in a corporation now instead of at yeah. your grandmother's computer. So they might turn around and say, okay, uh, they'll up the ransom. So mm. long way to say is that you get into those games, so that's, that becomes a problem. You also get into uh, problems where we have documented cases where uh, the ransom was paid, but the keys that you got back uh, might not have been provided, or if they were provided, 
there was a mistake in something, you know, yeah. because it didn't decrypt the, the, the files. So malware has bugs too sometimes? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it's kind of, and then from a, you know, InfoSec perspective, it's like the way I look at any computer that's been compromised, I'd, I don't want to... Don't want to use it. I, I don't want to. I, I'm starting over. Yeah. So if you if you have a compromised computer that's been that you paid the ransom to get you know um, decrypted, how do you feel that there's nothing else going on behind right. the scenes? You never feel that good. Yeah. Which I think you know for for those reasons, those are some really solid reasons as why um, that recommendation of not paying the ransom yeah. is is a good one. Um, for for those who can help with not paying that ransom. Yeah, I, and I certainly agree. I, I I think the hard part is, you know, some people put themselves in a really bad situation, right? Where you, yeah. have, you have critical data sitting on a drive, and yes. and that's the, the only one way to get it. You know, even if you know you're not ever going to get, even if you know there's fifty fifty shot that paying the ransom doesn't get you your data. You know, right. some people have a different equation which says they have to pay it. Right? Yeah, and so that's where, of course, from the security hygiene side of it, right. You want to avoid just Don't put yourself dealing that with that situation yeah. altogether. I will say, I, I will add that, you know, as you do, if you start threat modeling for your organization where ransomware fits, um, I, it is relevant to everyone. Like, I think uh, any com- there, there's any company that's out there that's connected to the Internet, which is every company, can be uh, affected by ransomware, as well as you and I at home and such. So, But just strictly talking about the, the corporation, I think one of the more concerning things, the assessment is that we're seeing more uh, sophisticated ransomware um, attacks. So where the groups are acting more like what we would see in even um, like an APT, the Advanced Persistent Threat type Mm -hmm. of uh, behavior, Mm -hmm. where... um, We'll see that these that the sophisticated groups are like looking for vulnerabilities that they could get the, that uh, toehold into a um, a net network and they'll they'll spend some time in there. Um, and so the problem that I have for that um, is that there are certain sectors that have the APT target on them and they know who they are. Uh, namely, uh, if you want to guess. Uh, you could probably come to pretty quickly to you know, like the defense contractor industry and such, and at least they know what they're up against, and they're 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 orchestrating their tools, and you know they're getting their personnel up to speed and trained up as to how to deal with that threat. The problem that I see with ransomware, as it gets sophisticated, is that there's other sectors, and just to select one at random, say healthcare, for instance, where you could arguably say that you're as you do your threat modeling, that APT is not my, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So I don't have to like dial up my. China's not trying to get your intellectual property probably. Right. Because I'm a community hospital somewhere. Exactly. And then so now if we're starting to see this bleed of those type of tactics mm. into that type of, uh, say, uh, organization. Yeah. Changes as your an infosec person, I, I, my, my threat model has just changed. It's like, okay, well, maybe I do need. You know, we could go into a discussion about you know, what cyber threat intelligence means, and and do you need to be doing more like trending towards that? Do you need mm-hmm. to, so it, it does? It's a can of worms, and it's it, it can bring heartburn to, yeah. to um, our you know CISOs and, yeah. and such. Probably the biggest thing I wanted to talk about is as someone who runs a security program, and we have a number of different security leaders and security analysts listening to the podcast. When is it right for us to engage with the FBI? 
what kind of, obviously we, we, we all experience an incident fre- frequently. And if you define incident broadly enough, you know, we get a piece of malware on a laptop, we get ransomware on, on a system, uh, you know, we get an email saying, "Hey, we're going to denial of service you." We get, you know, yada yada yada. There's there's lots of different kinds of incidents. Um, I don't want to call you every time. I don't think you want me to call you every time. From your perspective, where does it become profitable for for me to reach out to you? So, I would start with we try to look for the biggest. In, impact in the work that we do. Yeah. And so you're right. There's there's a level of activity that is important to report, but do, do I need to know it personally? Not not really. Like for just to give you a quick example, um, if you some people do this, if you if you just happen to have come by a spare phishing uh, email, that's that's one in a million probably that's been sent. Uh, not really in the big picture of things. That's not where my focus is going to be. Uh, people do want to report that. And so if you do want to report that, you could do that at um, a couple of spots. One online is we have the Internet Crime Complaint Center, hmm. which is there for the military folks. And uh, the, the, they'll remember uh, the Alpha Numeric Codes or... Um, what I'm trying to get to is uh, indigocharlie3.gov is the web address. So you go www.ic3.gov. Okay. That, that'll get you to the Internet Crime Complaint <coughs> Center. And you could submit, and it's really meant to be a clearinghouse for this type of, uh, yes, it meets a threshold that you want to report it, but you, can't, you, you get that it's not going to be a major case from that single report. The good thing about reporting it, though, is there is that it's being collected in one database. So right. if we see that, if we correlate reports across the country where um, everyone's saying the same IP address was responsible for dropping the same uh, malware, then we will be able to identify that pattern, that trend, and, and work it from that perspective, which would be much more efficient for our purposes. You could make a call into the FBI office with that it doesn't really at that that level of reporting doesn't it's hard to report on a telephone <laughs> so most people t- when you do make those calls into the office well we would redirect you to the uh, ic3.gov yeah. website um, but then there's there's things that we you would inherently i would expect know that is um, a crime and that you would naturally report to law enforcement like uh, some sort of major data breach something like that, ransomware, for instance. And then there's the chasm in between the two that I'm explaining. It's like, okay, where do you kind of, where, where do you draw those lines? And I, we talked about ransomware. Anything that's related to ransomware right now would be, um, from a cyber threat intelligence perspective, would be good for us to collect. So if you are aware of um like if you if you're dealing with a ransomware situation, you should call us immediately because there's a couple of things that we can help you with. One is um, we do track based on the different um, strains, if you will, of ransomware that's out there. The different attackers behind them, we do track behavior. 
So we would be potentially, depending on what you have going on, we might be able to, to feed you indicators of compromises, um, give you hints of places to look where, the, if you don't know at this point where the, where the intrusion had started. We, we might have that information that we could share with you mm. about that. Um, so, so again, on the ransomware side, you've got that going on. So for, for a ransomware, you say if that'd be a good time to call. What if, you know, what if I have one one laptop in a corporate network where you get ransomware and I and I have a backup? I'm just going to wipe it. You don't do you do you want us to let you know, or you're saying if we need help in case of ransomware, get a call. So here's the thing, in, in that situation, I don't need to know personally. That's that's a better that's better suited for IC3. Okay. Have. Like that level, give the technical like info and just, yeah, just, just to help exactly because it, it's going to get logged, it's going to be tagged, okay. Um, and if that comes up again, it will again across the country. If it's being reported, that that little blip will you know kind of be yeah. be louder for us, and we we pay more attention to it. Uh, so yeah, certainly, okay. And then and then other types of incidents that like so I I say one of the for a long time one of the perceptions in the corporate world is when you call in the FBI, you know, you kind of lose control of, of things, mm-hmm. right? That that the FBI has their processes and, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to change the the flow of your incident response if you if you do call in law enforcement. So what, what's your take on that and, and how, how do we deal with that? So the victim has a lot of control. As a, as a victim, number one, you have to contact law enforcement. We're not going to come in and um, look to disrupt your business in any way. We would make an assessment and give you some of you know, our views as to maybe some options that you can take, but they would be merely suggestions. We'd never uh, force you to do something that you didn't want to do. Uh, so you have a lot of control as the victim, and but you bring up a point. As I talk with folks in private sector, this it's a common thing that I keep on hearing, and uh, I can only speculate that it comes from either the movies, <laughs> to be honest with you, from television and movies, where you know this perception that the FBI is going to come in and take over and take your stuff, or it, it happened prior to you know I've like I said I've been in, involved in the FBI for ten years. I've yeah. never heard of that happening. Um, but if it happened prior to ten years, it might you know we might have worked a little bit differently right. with respect to even um, just the size of hard drives and computers and all that stuff. Years ago, it might have been easier for the FBI to really ask and um, suggest that they take your computers to do the analysis and mm-hmm. forensics and stuff like that. Nowadays, with things are so. Um, uh, the, the the volume size of hard drives and such, um, and the sophisticated nature of what we're looking at, we tend to not want to march out of anywhere with. Uh, what well, we're not going to do it on a victim side. I, I also should mention. I think people might conflate that with being a subject of an investigation, mm-hmm. right? And they might have um, seen, you know, the. TV reel of someone, you know, the FBI agents walking out with boxes and right. servers and stuff like that. Well, if, you know, let's be sure that we're, we're talking the difference between a victim of a of the crime where we're going to be working hard with that victim to to assist them in any way we can, and also to do an investigation as best as we can, versus a subject, which at that point we would have a, a search warrant and legal authority to seize equipment. Right. So, so what what kind of 
we talked about ransomware as, as those, that, and there are all kinds of other incidents. One of the ones that you mentioned earlier is the insider threat, which is easiest to prosecute. That feels to me like one that we'd want to bring in earlier than others, or what's your take there? Well, so the timing, we would want to be involved as soon as you, as a company, is willing to, to make contact with us. It, there's not one crime that's more... Um, that's benefited more from being uh, a slower to report to us and versus one that's faster to report to us, if that makes any sense. Uh, because we would like to make that assessment with you even early that this doesn't seem like something the FBI would be interested in because hmm. sometimes we come to that conclusion um, relatively quickly. But it's hard to anticipate what where something will go up front. So I guess my, my guidance would be if, if if you, I think we all know, you know, especially those who operate, you know, complicated corporate environments. There's there's a there's a threshold of, so you know, something might be moving towards needing law enforcement action. Yeah. And when that starts to, you know, that idea starts to percolate, that that's really the time you should reach out to us. I fully understand that there's corporate counsel involved and you're going to be talking internally with lawyers and so on. Um, we, I've been in the rooms with lawyers and I'm not, um, I, I, I'm, I'm accustomed to that. And in, in, in complicated corporate environments, I, it's, it's, I expect to have that type of a, of, of a situation when we're doing our on-site consultation. And um, I, it's really about working as much as we can together to, again, make sure that you protect yourselves, get yourself fixed, but also help us move an investigation forward where we can go to prosecution. Hmm. At the end of the day, a real big component of when we charge is that we need to know that a victim is thinks that a crime occurred and that they're willing to testify on a criminal side. Okay. So absent that, um, it's the it's that old standby of, you know, uh, something happened in like an incident in, in a street and there was 50 people who saw that, but nobody wants to hmm. be a witness. Law enforcement doesn't go forward with it. You know, a similar thing in, in the computer security realm as well. So if we don't have a willing victim to help um stand up and say that, you know, we were uh, victimized here and this this was the damages to us, um, then we're not going to have much of an appetite to continue with you because we know that we're, we won't be able to bring that successfully to where we would want to take it. Okay. What about um, denial of service attacks, someone who's, act, you know, actively, um, actively attacking one of our infrastructures? Is that the kind of thing that you guys could help respond to it quickly or what do you think about those types of attacks yeah, so that is something where we are not resourced to really help out to be honest with you yeah. uh, that would change the only thing that would so for for we'd call say on, a, on an average company we we wouldn't be able to bring resources to bear on that it's it almost be um, that's just out of our lane. The, the exception to that would be if you are a company that's operating in a, something that we are is a priority to us to protect, like a, is, is health and welfare affected, health and safety affected potentially, like critical infrastructure. Is the DDoS going against critical mm-hmm. infrastructure? 
that that could change um, our assessment as to whether or not we would deploy a resource to to help you. But again, a lot from my experience um, on the peripheral of companies that have been dealing with the DDoS problem is that there's D- the DDoS mitigation services is where they need to essentially relieve the pressure. Yeah. So I guess I should be clear that I'm talking about that piece of it mm-hmm. right now as far as the resources to, to relieve the DDoS. You're not going to get it from the FBI. It would almost be, um, it's, just, it's just not where we're at. But um, from the investigative side, so when you get to a point of, all right, we would want you to share that analysis of, okay, what IP addresses, assuming you know that there, this was several thousands uh, to you know, even a million IP addresses that were involved in the attack, we would want that intel. What, was this like an IoT botnet that was involved mm-hmm. in doing this? We would want that. Um, and we don't have that to start with. So that's where it's important for us to... To message that if as a as a victim of a DDoS attack, sharing that information with law enforcement will will help us understand who's behind that act, and also to ultimately what our goals are, frankly, is to disrupt right and to if we can apprehend, we're gonna we're gonna apprehend uh, those who are responsible. So that's that's where our goals are. Yeah. Um, oriented towards so. The it's it's challenging on. I'll tell you just. From the corporate side, the conversations are, well, do you really want to bring in law enforcement as, you know, it, be- it can become, you know, a PR issue. It can become, it complicates the incident response. Do you, do you see negatives to bringing in law enforcement that you can talk to that we can just kind of figure, balance it, right, and, and help figure out? Because obviously your message is, you know, share lots of information, share it early. Uh, and I, I don't think that's generally what I'm hearing in the on the private side, so I'm just kind of curious if we can if we can figure out where the disconnect is. Yeah, no, I'd love to engage you here. Um, so one of the things, just to address the PR side of things, we with one thing we're really good at, and the FBI is not talking about ongoing investigations, not talking about um, if you bring in the FBI, for instance, we're not going to have a press release saying that we're investigating this with. Um, so and so. Oftentimes, when you hear that, it's it's usually the company um, making that statement is that we brought in the FBI. Yeah. It's from their side. So we're, we're, we're we take it very seriously. The who we get information from, we protect uh, the source of that information. Um, who we're working with. If you're a victim of a crime, we're not out there touting you as a victim. That's I, I could be a little. Um, it's difficult sometimes when I talk with people in the public because I could. There's times where I just have to stop short of. Like, I'm not going to drop a name or a company right. that's a victim. I'll never right. do that. And the FBI does not do that. It's just, it's bad. Um, it's just a bad way of carrying yourself, as well as we, the, the repercussions of that is that no one will want to share information mm-hmm. with us if you think we're just going to um, turn around and, and put it out there. So that's the PR side I just want to address. But, you know, to do that devil's advocate, trying to look at this from uh, 360 degrees, you know, the downside, well, I, I, I do not find, from my perspective, I honestly don't see a downside for bringing law enforcement in. Because, again, you as a victim control the entire conversation. And we're not going to, I'm very careful, and I know my the members on my, uh, my squad are very careful. We're not going to put you in a position that you're, vulnerable to 
to an ongoing incident, right? We might have a conversation and say, hey, this is what you're dealing with. And if you want to collect more information on the threat, these actors can keep that per, that window open, if you will, uh, before, like if you're if you're going through your incident response step, if you if you're still in that containment step and you and you haven't moved on to um, to to remediation, then I, I I'm a believer in that. Just from a, I guess this is more from less practitioner, but more speaking with with uh, those who have done this, uh, is that you don't want to close the window early. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you get the info. and I'm sure, I'm, I'm guessing, I can only guess because I don't have insight to stuff that I, I don't see naturally, but I'm sure from, you know, the real mature organizations that have, that are dealing with, you know, very sophisticated threats, that's what they're doing. They're not shutting down immediately, pulling plugs and saying, oh, good, we're, it's gone because it's not. Long way to say on that, um, we won't ask you to stay vulnerable. We can't because it puts me in a difficult position. I don't want you to turn around and say, Based on my advice, you suffer more losses. Yeah. I'm not going to put myself in that position, nor is anybody in the FBI going to put ourselves in that position for you. Um, so so that's that's my perspective. I don't know. Can you tell me more about like what the downside, what at least a perception of the downside would be? I, I, I suspect that it's just that you're bringing in a, another variable, right? A, a powerful variable that you have to have trust in. Mm-hmm. And I, I think yes. if you take it from a cynic's perspective, like uh, this, these people have badges and guns, and um, and they are they weren't involved, they weren't a factor I had to consider, and I bring them in now, they are a factor, and and may, maybe it's based on you know fictional accounts of the past, or you know maybe someone you know ten years ago had an issue. I, I don't know. I just the, the conversations are usually. Um, be thoughtful about when you would bring the FBI in, right? Not mm-hmm. not bring them in every time, but be thoughtful about it, yeah. and that, that you're ready. To, you know, you're, it's a formal it's a formal thing. It's a big it's a big deal to bring in the law enforcement. That's that's kind of what I perceive. Okay. Now, I don't think I don't think I've seen like a lack of trust. I I haven't seen a lack of trust. Um, I've seen that there there isn't necessarily a lot of perceived value in bringing it in because you know if, okay. if I'm sharing information um, and you guys didn't have anything about it yet, well then you know great you guys are getting more information and maybe down the line you help somebody else right but in the in the, in the heat of an incident maybe that's not my top priority yeah I, I could appreciate that that perspective um, and there is some truth to it there are times where we frankly cannot divulge more mm-hmm. information than we can that being said I, I do think from my side of it just knowing how we operate I I wouldn't if I'm in the private sector in the future, I'm not going to be hesitant to share information with the FBI and be concerned if I don't get any, anything back, only because I, I could say that because I know what's going on, you know, <laughs> behind the scenes. Be behind the scenes, and some of it might very well be that we have no more information. Right. Um, some of it might be we do have more information, but it's at different classification levels. That that can come up, um, but I don't have a lot of heartburn about that. What I'm doing in my my uh, future self <laughs> is what I'm asking the FBI. Uh, so I'm, I'm providing them some information, but if there is a concern for, that the FBI has or more information that they could provide, you're going to get that. Now, for every situation, um, most situations, I, I'm not going to say here that you, you're, you, 
can't expect to have a tangible result. Yeah. So that's where I think from you know private sector and law enforcement side, it's just you know finding the right that whatever that threshold of what to report mm-hmm. is always it's a dance. Yeah. And we're we would want I, I, we wouldn't even want it all. Right. Frankly, because we don't we're not resourced. You, to, you can't take. You can't look. Yeah. Exactly. Can't parcel. So we would we just want I, maybe you know the biggest fish. Right. You know, chasing the biggest fish is the easiest way to do that. Right. Is to say it. And if what you think you have is a pretty big fish, then then call us in. Yeah. And we'll work with you. And in if you're like if you're not, you know, you, you invite us in, right? right? And you right. We, we we can't just walk in. Uh, so one of the one of the kind of general tips for security leaders, and it's part of it's part of the ISO standard and, and NIST, is you know establish relationships with law enforcement. You know, kind of open those channels. Um, and, and ideally, you're opening those channels in advance of an incident, right? You're, I'm not scrambling, asking someone, I'm not sending a note to, to Rob saying, hey, Rob, do you know who the local FBI agent is, right? I, yeah. I already know who it is. Uh, but from your side, while that might sound like a great idea, if everyone does it, you're probably overwhelmed with, hi, yeah. please come meet me. So where, where's the happy balance? Where, where's the happy medium here? What do you recommend we do? That's a tough one because – and the. There's a side of me that I want to be personable to everyone, yeah. but I can't, and we're not resourced to do that. So uh, I would say this. You can kind of get known, if you will, to us through participation in, like, InfraGuard. Hmm. That's, you know, that's something that we, we run. So we know that's a vetted list of, of membership there. Of, so we know who comes around for the meetings and we're available to chat, right? Yeah. And not for nothing, if that's all that you do, then you, you cross, you did that checkbox as far mm-hmm. as, okay, I've, I, we could exchange business cards, right? right? That type of a thing. And so, so, so that's one way of doing that. The, I, I'm struck because I really want to say, you know, um, just come out and reach out, but yeah. that, that that'll be a denial of service tack <laughs> of another nature, and my my supervisor won't be too happy with me with that. Yeah. So um, I, I would, for those, I, maybe naturally, maybe slow roll it as you review your incident response plans. Just yeah. we we do have people call the office and say, hey. Um, it's more or less a cold call, but they're saying, and they're really going, they're checking a box to what yeah. you're talking about. And they're saying, hey, you know, I just want to make sure we, you know, this is the right number to call. He, yeah. Do we have an incident? That's fine to do. You yeah. Know? And again, find us at events that we, the InfraGuard event will be most likely where you will find an opportunity to interact with us. I will, I do try to get out as much as I can. And I know others do as well. Um, we're, we're, we don't, it's hard to say where we're going to be, though. It's right. like we don't have a regular. We're going to be at this meeting right. type of a thing. But but I think joining InfraGuard is a is a great recommendation. I you know it is a vetted, it is a vetted group. You can't you don't just go to a website and pay your twenty bucks to sign up. There yeah. there's a background check aspect to it. Um, yep. But it um you know the, it as a result of that you get you get some information you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, and so we know you by sector, and where InfraGuard helps us too, um, it helps you. Let's say you're in um, the energy sector. Yeah. We, we, we bin you like that. So we know that these are our energy sector uh, participants, members, and such. When we get threat information that's mm-hmm. specific to that industry sector, we're, we, that's the first list we start with. Yeah. So we're going to get them the most timely information that we have. And it, when I've seen it, it could be 
again, it could be really rich information in the form of like specific IOCs, MD5 uh, hashes of malware, very and timely, and that's and that's great to have, and that's going to be a first look. After that, we're we might be going through what amounts to going through the phone book to say, okay, who else is in this sector right. that didn't join? And you don't, so you're just distancing yourself right. um, from getting that information. So again, not for nothing, you're checking a box, you're getting involved with, uh, you're nurturing a relationship with the FBI, you're getting some information that's really pertinent to to you, yeah. to your sector. That alone, um, and it, there's no membership fee that I'm aware of. I don't. I don't remember there being one. There's <laughs> no know, so, I joined it. Exactly. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. That's where it's well, at. Very cool. So if folks do want to reach out, if they if they have an incident and whatever, what's the best way to get a hold of of you or the the Denver um, office, whatever they should right. be doing? So I would say if if you're dealing with something that needs to be addressed immediately, yeah. call the FBI Denver field office and first, and that's what's the number three zero three okay. six two nine. Seven one seven one. Okay, I'll put it. I'll put this in the show notes yeah. too. And the reason why you, you, you'll do that because, um, and I've had this happen, and it's you feel bad. I, I might be, if you send it to me, for instance, personally, I might be on an airplane somewhere. Right. Okay. I might be on vacation. Yeah. I might not be checking that phone that closely, and so it could go into a little bit of a black hole for mm-hmm. some time. And if you have something urgent, call the number. You'll get the, the FBI field office, which ask for. Um, the, the cyber, say you got a, a complaint, actually, what would happen? Just is, say the word cyber. Yeah, just go cyber. It, it, it magically gets you there. Say cyber, cyber, cyber. <laughs> They'll know where to route you. Just explain what you've got going on. They'll route you to the right guy. I'm, I'm trying to try not to get any flack from my supervisor because if his phone goes off the hook after this, it's going to be. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah, a bad idea to, to, to like put more work towards your boss. But yeah. nonetheless... Um, Truly, call that, call that because even after hours, you'll be switched over we, 24-7. Someone's going to answer that phone. You'll yeah. be switched over to, and it won't be somebody sitting necessarily in Denver mm-hmm. proper, but someone will be listening to that, and they'll know, they'll train to know if, if you got something that really needs to be worked on immediately, they have back channels to get to, like, my phone and my supervisor's phone and so on and so forth. So yeah. that's where you could cover it all through just one, right. one telephone that's call. Great. Yeah. Cool. I, I really appreciate your time. We're, we're over over time here yeah. today, but this has been a great conversation. Uh, any final uh, words you want to leave the audience with? Uh, I would just say, you know, we are part of the Denver Cyber Security, InfoSec Security, Network Security, however you want to term it. We're, I see myself as part of that community. Yeah. This, this is where I make my home. Um, I enjoy the work. I think um, there's we all could go a long way with knowing each other like better as far as you know our positions on things and how we could work together I really think there's an there's opportunities um, where that that are not being uh, that that might be left on the table that we're, we both don't know about because we're not talking hmm. um, I'll point real quickly to an example the, the finance industry has done a really good job of sharing their information with law enforcement. Hmm. And that's part, some of it's self-serving, admittedly, because, you know, they want to stop fraud. They mm-hmm. want to stop losses. They want to improve consumer confidence um, in using online banking, doing e-commerce, so on and so forth. You see some of that on the communication side and the communication sectors. I think there's an untapped 
area with uh, computer security companies yeah. in general. And I would love to, to talk with you know, the, the great companies that are here in Colorado doing, you know, whether it's threat hunting, cyber threat intelligence, however you want to term it. But if you're sitting on um, some information that you think can, can be helpful to the cause of, you know, bringing in the FBI with the intent of, you know, disrupting, dismantling groups uh, and doing arrests, you know, we want to have those conversations. And I just want to make people like on an intimidated, unintimidated from, you know, reaching out and finding us. All right. Well, once again, thank you very much for your time, Jason. And we'll hopefully we can catch up with you maybe next year and, and get another update. Absolutely. All right. Have thank a good you. one. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.